The children are dismissed for children's church, so if you are um, however old, up through fourth grade, you are uh, able to go to children's church. You'll have a good time. I think they're um, doing resurrection roles today. Um, so everybody looks forward to resurrection roles. Um, you can hear the story when you pick up your children uh, later. The rest of us turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. We are in John chapter 11 today. John chapter 11, I'll be reading the whole story. Um, we are in the gospel of John. John writes everything that he writes so that we might believe and that by believing in his name, uh, we might have life, an abundant life. So every story that John uses, especially the, the miraculous stories, especially in the book of signs, the first 12 chapters of the book of John, he writes these so that we might believe and trust in Jesus all the more. That's what he writes these things for. And so we celebrate today. Now again, we celebrate Easter, we celebrate the resurrection, and so I thought it would be fitting for us to jump forward just a few verses to John chapter 11, where Jesus actually declares himself to be, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. So hear the word of the Lord beginning in John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death for it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. But Jesus, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And we all say the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So I think that we can all agree that this world has problems, right? We all, in in, in unanimity there, And regardless of whether or not you're a Republican, a Democrat, a Libertarian, a Socialist, a Communist, a New Ideas Party from El Salvador, or the Good Party from Turkey, I threw that one in there just for Mike Wietrich, you can all agree, right? You can be an environmentalist or you can be an oil baron. You can all agree that the world has problems. You can be a professor at KU or you can be the guy who's cutting the grass that the professor walks over or maybe lays down and thinks about the clouds, but you can all agree that there's problems in this world today. You may be on opposite sides of the political, social, theological issue, but you are all in the same boat, living in a world that is not perfect and that is broken. We all understand that, right? We live in a broken world. The question and where we begin to diverge with regard to um, our opinions and our ideology is how can that be solved? Is it through education? Is it through uh, more programs? Is it through seeking a higher power? Um, Some who are resigned or live in the midst of resignation would say, no, it's no use. Let's get as many toys as possible and live a life of luxury and self-indulgence because we're all going to die. Christians would say that it isn't about ideology or theology, but it's about a person. It's about a person who begins to solve all the problems. He begins to restore the brokenness. He begins to reconcile. I mean, think about this. In the midst of Jesus coming, he takes Jews and Greeks and he reconciles them into the family of God. People who once hated one another, Jesus takes and he knits them together as brothers and sisters. In the midst of this, there is one other ultimate problem that we struggle with, and that is the issue of death. As a matter of fact, I was reading uh, in the news feed that I get, and it said that the first anti-aging pills are to hit shelves in 2028, experts predicts, as Silicon Valley races to conquer death. They race to conquer death because they're so worried about getting older. And, and what is 
Why is there fear there? Their fear is this, is that the shadow of death is reaching out towards those. And they've made all of this money, billions of dollars. And they're like, how do I stop this? How do I solve the problem of death? How do I solve the problem of the shadow of death that is reaching out towards me? And Christians, as Christians, we actually know the answer. And the answer is resurrection. The answer is a relationship with Jesus. The answer is Jesus himself. I think about this, um, this in the idea of, you know, you don't just face death at the end of your life. Throughout your life, uh, let me quote David Pallison, throughout your life you face what David in Psalm 23 called the shadow of death. A shadow brings the looming sense that the dark is approaching. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death takes many different forms. Death is the ultimate loss, but many smaller losses also bring the shadow of death into your life. You have probably already faced some of these shadows. For example, how about the loss of health? Whether you're struggling with a chronic illness or a sudden catastrophic event, the losses that come with physical suffering foreshadow death. How about the loss of a loved one? When death comes to those we love, we feel the shadow of death keenly, but we also experience loss when a relationship ends for any reason. When you experience betrayal in a relationship, you are getting a small bitter taste of the alienation, isolation, and abandonment that is the ultimate experience of death. How about the loss of youth? Anybody feeling like they've lost their youth? The years pile up, the hair turns white, or maybe you lose it. Uh, The wrinkles form, the body starts to break down, the memory starts to fail. It's as though fingers of darkness are reaching out to you. You ever driven someplace and you get there and you're like, I have no idea why I'm here. So if you do that in the grocery store, just always assume that the Lord wants you to buy some more Reese cups, right? (laughs) Just whatever form it might be, you know, right now it's the Easter Reese cups, it's fine, just go ahead and get them. That's why you have it. Or how about, how about this? You know, the age takes its toll on you. I remember I was running yesterday and I used to be able to run and actually think about, I can time myself with my watch. Now I think I can time myself with a sundial. Um, I'm pretty sure I can do it. I'm like, okay, how, how fast is that? Well, the, the, the shadow has moved on the sundial that, that far along. There's a loss of youth. How about the loss of independence? As you age, you experience weakness in various forms. Old age can make you as helpless as a young child. And the expectation is one of loss. How about loss of usefulness? If you live long enough, you will outlive your usefulness in the workplace and watch life go on without you. And that's really, really difficult for a lot of men and women who have made their entire identity about what they do, their job, their vocation. And you lose that and you lose yourself. How about loss of meaning? As you get older, possessions, others' opinions, status, success, and whatever else you are striving for will lose their significance. So these losses can shadow your life at any time. Whether you're young or old, every significant suffering, loss, and evil you experience leaves the bitter taste of death in your mouth. So what's the solution? The solution is a relationship with Jesus. Now, let me, let me show you what's going on here in this story. This story is, is one of resurrection. 
but it's, it's, a, it's a complex story. So let's look at Martha to begin with. Martha, uh, now it's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They, they form a family, and these are dear friends of Jesus. And they, and they love Jesus. Jesus has spent time in their home. Matter of fact, I would say probably uh, Jesus has what I would consider refrigerator rights in their room, in, in, their, in their house, right? Do you guys have any friends in your life that actually have, not children, children just take, right? I'm talking about friends, dear friends, that when they come over, you actually give them access to whatever you have in your house, right? They can eat whatever they want, they can drink whatever they want, they have full access. Jesus is this type of friend to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. If you don't have any refrigerator friends, you need to get some. Call me up, I'll be yours, okay? <laughs> um, but in the midst of this, here's what we find, is that in verse three, um, Martha and Mary, again, they love Jesus, they love their brother, and so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. There's a sickness that's overtaking Lazarus's body. He's going to die. But they know that their friend Jesus is powerful, that he is their Lord and Savior, and that Jesus can actually do amazing things to the point where people would just touch Jesus as he walked by, and power would go out of Jesus, and they would be healed. I mean, Jesus was walking along going, hey, who touched me? There's some power that went out. Somebody got healed just now. Or Jesus could actually do it from a distance. He could actually say when somebody would come and say, hey, my child is sick, and then he would say, through your faith, your child is well, I make it so. And there's a, a, a distance. A, Jesus doesn't need to be close to you in order to make you well. And so they're hoping, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But notice what Jesus does. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So can you, brothers and sisters, experience great illness and tragedy and also be loved by Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. In the midst of this story, now again in verse five, it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So she initially goes to Jesus in prayer. Now that's, that's an act of faith, but she, she struggles to understand. Again, you know, notice what happens in the exchange uh, in verse 21 when, when Jesus shows up. And again, he shows up after Lazarus has been dead for four days. Now, it's significant that he waits four days because in that culture, in that time, there was a Jewish belief that the spirit of the departed one would sort of hover over the grave site. And so that maybe that spirit might fill that person again. So Jesus waited four days so that there could be no question as to whether or not Lazarus was actually dead. And so he shows up four days. And imagine the expectant waiting of Mary and Martha, thinking that this is my friend Jesus. He loves Lazarus. He cares for us. This is not too far. Imagine looking out the window. Have you ever been in a place where you're expecting somebody to show up and you're just looking out the window waiting for them? And then at the very end, you actually, when you see them coming, you go hide because you don't want them to see you waiting for them. Anybody ever done that before? Yeah, I mean, just maybe it's just me. I don't know. Like when our kids are coming home, or I'm expecting you know somebody that I, you know, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm looking, I'm looking, and then when I see them, I kind of go scatter. You're like, like, and then you play it off. You're like, oh, I'm just hanging out. You know, whenever you get here, it's fine, right? But with Mary and Martha, they're expectant because they're waiting for Jesus to come to do a healing, and He's not showing up. 
Notice the exchange, this honest exchange that Martha has. She says in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Mary almost says the very same thing. Jump down to 32. Now, Mary and Martha, Mary is always sitting at the feet of Jesus. She anointed Jesus with her hair. Martha's always busy, 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 right? Like she's probably in Enneagram one or three, if you know what that is, right? She's running around, right? Mary's probably like a four or five. You know, she's hanging out. She, she, she's thinking deeply. Um, now, she, she says, um, when, 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 now when Mary came to Jesus um, and she fell at his feet saying to him, and I love this because she falls at his feet because she's still saying that you're in charge. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That is so honest of them. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Have you guys ever felt like the Lord showed up too late or wasn't going to show up at all? Have you ever said, where were you, Lord? You came too late. Where were you when my loved one died? Where were you when my marriage dissolved? Where were you when my parents divorced? Where were you when my father became an alcoholic? Where were you when I was cheated on or cheated out of my promotion at work? Where were you when my child went astray? Lord, you say you'll be with me, but I don't feel like you're nearby. You see, Jesus always shows up on time, but his time is not always our time. It's very hard. Now, I want you to see this. Um, I'll, I'll get to it in a, in a little bit. I want, you, I want you to think about Jesus here because Jesus displays his deity and humanity through death and resurrection here. Again, Jesus is God, fully God, and fully man. And in the midst of this hypostatic union, he actually um, witnesses to us and displays both of these in John chapter 11. Octavius Winslow, a theologian of note, has said this, we must not overlook the marvelous display of the union of the divine and the human nature of our Lord, which, is now tr- which has now transpired. Jesus never appeared more truly God, yet more really man as now. As man, he wept tears of sympathy over the grave of Lazarus. As God, he unsealed it. As man, he mourned the dead. As God, he raised the dead to life. Here is blended in marvelous union all the tenderness and sympathy of the human with all the power and majesty of the divine. Such is the savior with whom we now are privileged to be near. Because he is God man, he is able to save to the uttermost all who come unto the father by him. His atoning death sealed and accepted by his resurrection from the grave has provided a full and free salvation for every penitent believing sinner. Do you feel yourself sinful, self-destroyed and lost? Jesus can save you. And you will hear the words of life. You will live. You see, Jesus' humanity is on full display here. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. If you're going to learn scripture, you can start today. And Jesus wept. John chapter 11, verse 35. If you remember that, you remember this. And that's displaying his great um, sadness. Even though, here's what's crazy, is that Jesus is experienced sadness for Martha and Mary, and he knows what he's about to do. But he experienced this. I mean, in the midst of doing the miraculous, Jesus feels 
for his people that he loves. Now, in the midst of his sadness, let me, let me say just one thing by note, um, and that is this, is that real men do cry. If you're a big, burly guy, and you think that you don't cry, and that crying is a sign of weakness, that's a lie that some Marlboro man, you know, just you know, toxic masculinity has taught you how to do. Like, real men actually cry. You know where I've seen men cry deeply? Is man, when I, when I do a wedding and I see a man walking his daughter down the aisle, some of these dads are just blubbering because they know they're given this Stradivarius violin to a gorilla. <laughs> Weeping at the loss of this poor little girl. You want to see big burly men cry, you'll see it happen when they talk about their daughters when they talk about the way that they should have been a little bit more tender, a little bit more compassionate, a little bit more gentle. You see, when they, even dads talk about it with their, their sons as well, as their sons get older, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, we're at a place where we're almost empty nesters, whatever that is, but you look back and you go, man, I, I could have done so much better. There's so many times I've blown it. And when you look back on those days where you were angry or frustrated or you said the wrong thing or you gave the wrong guidance, it brings you to tears. Jesus understands that. Jesus' humanity, he displays his humanity in the midst of this and it's, it's startling. But also you can see that he's angry. I'm gonna sh- show you this. There's this Greek word, it's actually embrimaomai, it actually is, is when he uh, feels deeply. If you look at verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now this idea of being deeply moved is also occurring in verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. This idea of being deeply moved, it's, it's to rebuke, to speak harshly and warn. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, Jesus understands that death has brought grief to these people that he loves and it makes him angry, and it makes him frustrated. Does death ever make you frustrated? I mean, the worst thing I've ever heard at a funeral is when some, like, you know, wingnut pastor gets up and goes, well, death is natural. No, it's not. It's not meant to be natural. It is true, and the mortality rate has been hovering around 100 for a long time, but it's not the way things were supposed to happen. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read that death entered in through one man, but another man, that one man was Adam, but death now will be conquered through another, and that other is Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, I'll just quote it. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see what Jesus is doing in the midst of resurrection, and he's foreshadowing his own resurrection here in John chapter 11. And he's saying, I have the power over death. And he displays his divinity. 
Now I wanna go back to, to Martha for a second. I mean, how many of you, um, I feel like Martha here, because notice what Martha says to Jesus. She, she says, you know, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died in verse 21. And then she says to, to, to Jesus, uh, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she says to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. There's a great affirmation of her own faith there in verse 27. So she's, she's thinking. Now, if you just skip forward a few verses, you'll notice something else. Now, in verse 38, when Jesus is at the tomb and he's, deep, and, and he's deeply moved, and then in verse 39, Jesus says, take away the stone, Martha, who gave a, a witness of faith in verse 27 of, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I believe that whatever you ask of God, he will give to you. But the moment Jesus actually says, roll away the stone, she goes, don't do that. There's been, he's been dead four days. There's an odor in the grave. Don't do it. I feel like Martha in this sense is that, do you ever feel like you wake up in the morning and you go, yes, this is gonna be a great day. It's me and Jesus. I'm gonna abide with him. Everything's gonna be great. And maybe 15 minutes later, maybe 15 seconds later, you think, oh man, Jesus, are you gonna show up here? You ever had a shaky faith? You ever go from moments, I mean, you almost feel manic where you're like, yes, Lord. And you're like, I don't feel this at all. Anybody? Maybe it's just me. <laughs> That's the struggle that we have. And Martha is showing you the struggle. There are moments where she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ. Anything that the Father uh, wants to give you, anything you ask in his name, he will give you. And in other moments she goes, Lord, don't roll away the stone. Don't do it. I don't want to be disappointed. This is too painful. Then Jesus does something remarkable here. I mean, Jesus, and this is, I love this story because this is Jesus. Um, the stone is rolled away. And then he says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, and then he prayed, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now here's why he says that. Because in the ancient world, uh, oftentimes a tomb that was built like this one would actually house four uh, grave sites. And as you would go into the tomb, there would be three on the left, three on the right, and two in the back. And so at this point, we don't know if it was a new tomb, probably not. Lazarus was probably not put away in a new tomb. But when Jesus goes in and he cries out, Lazarus, come out, he says it specifically to Lazarus because if he said, just come out, all of a sudden, all the graves all around would have emptied and everyone would have been at Jesus's feet. But specifically, he says, Lazarus, come out and Lazarus comes out. And what he is showing is he is displaying his authority over all things. And what he's doing is he's showing how he's renewing and recreating and overcoming death. You see, um, it's a shame that our culture has turned death as the answer, not the problem today. They think that death would be the answer, but it's really the problem. But Jesus is the solution to death. 
as we think about um, this idea, I think about the verse in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13, where it says, uh, 13 through 15, where he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. This is the idea. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe that he is as good as he says he is? Do you believe not only is he as good, but that he is as powerful as he says he is? You know, Jesus asked Martha this question. It's four words. Do you believe this? That is a very important question for everyone here, including myself. Do you believe this? Do you believe in Jesus or do you believe in something else? Or do you believe in nothing? Do you believe in Jesus? Now, B.B. Warfield says this, he says, whatever death is and all that death is, that is what we shall be saved from in this salvation. And whatever life is and all that life is, that is what we shall be saved to in this salvation. Saved from death and saved into life. Brothers and sisters, when we lose a loved one or we have friends who lose a loved one, we can offer important comfort of sympathy, fellowship, and love. But Jesus offers something better. He offers the comfort of solution. For that which grieves our souls, he takes away and solves it. Lazarus rose again, and Lazarus will rise again someday. Again, we think about this in, in terms of Easter morning because we want to think about resurrection. I mean, because if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. You know, the tomb is empty when Lazarus came out or maybe there were other guys there that he, Jesus didn't call out. But we celebrate in, from John chapter 20 that when, the, when Mary and Martha went to anoint the body of Jesus, that the stone had been rolled away. And they had seen the stone rolled away another occasion in John chapter 11. And they saw the stone rolled away and they thought that maybe somebody had taken the body of Jesus. But Jesus is there and when he says Mary, she recognizes him. You see, if the, stone, if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. He has conquered sin and death. Do you believe this? Now, we celebrate that at, at, at Easter. And one of the reasons why we have trumpets is because trumpets are a, you know, a celebratory instrument, right? I mean, we want to celebrate. Like, like, every time we have Easter, it's like a ticker tape parade. It is way better, way wilder than when the Jayhawks win the national championship in basketball. I mean, this is the joy that we have that death has been conquered. Not UNC. Not something else. But that death has been conquered. And sometimes, we, again, we play the trumpets because the trumpets are a sound, uh, an instrument. I was thinking about, you know, what would be a sad instrument. So I looked it up, like, what's a sad instrument? You know, a sad instrument could be like a viola, could be a violin, you know, could be a piano. You don't have to play them in a sad way, but you can play them in a sad way. By the way, you know what the difference between a fiddle and a violin is? Nothing. It's the same instrument. It's just how it's played. <laughs> 
It's just how it's played. And sometimes a fiddle is played with, with, with great joy and pace and tempo, whereas a violin can actually bring you into uh, the midst of, of sadness. But it can also be played with joy. So what does that have to do with me? Let me, let me give you a couple lines of um, uh, application here. What do you want to see? How do you play a part in this resurrection story? How can you and I today, this week, at our Easter gatherings, actually play a part in the resurrection story? How do we do that? A couple ways. I want to show you this in the text. Um, First, I want you to see this. That Jesus, in verse 39, said to the group around him, take away the stone. Take away the stone that's covering over, right? Right? Secondly, he says to the people around in verse 44, the man who had died came out, Lazarus, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Here's the idea. Is that we actually get to participate in this way. We cannot bring the dead back to life. That's only Jesus can do that, right? But we can bring the word of Christ to them. We can do preparatory work and we can do work afterwards. We can help remove stones, stones of ignorance, error, prejudice, and despair. We can take those stones and we can move those stones. If that's an obstacle for somebody to believe, we can do everything that we can to remove the obstacle. When somebody says, I don't like the church, I don't like Christians because they're a bunch of hypocrites, we can do everything that we can to remove that stone of ignorance and hypocrisy from our own lives and the relationship that we have. That's the preparatory work. We can share the gospel, bring the word of truth. Now, the other work that happens by the people of God after somebody has come to faith in Jesus, and this is really an allegory or or metaphor, an extended metaphor, is, is Lazarus is a metaphor of who we are. We're dead in our sins and trespasses, and until Jesus calls us out of the tomb, we will stay dead. But when he calls us out, we come out in all of our grave clothes, and Jesus looks around and says, hey, you guys help this guy get out of his grave clothes. Now, what that means is this. This is what Boyce would say. Um, he, He would say this, that afterwards, the miracle we can help the new Christian is by unwinding the grave clothes of doubt and fear, and introspection, and discouragement. And what we can do is take those things off. How many of you have seen new Christians who have been living a life of sin, or addiction, or anger, or pain, and they've taken those off, and yet every once in a while they go back to them, and they begin to wrap themselves up in their old grave clothes? And we as the people of God have the opportunity, not only the opportunity, but the mandate from the Lord Jesus to actually help people take those clothes off. And to say, no, you don't have to live in the midst of addiction. You don't have to live in the midst of unreconciled relationships. You don't have to live in the midst of loneliness and despair because Jesus, your relationship with Jesus means something and your relationship to the family of God means something. And we get to help people unwrap themselves. And for whatever reason, it seems as if maybe you or myself, we like to wrap ourselves in our own clothes that don't fit anymore. Because in Christ, we put off the old and we put on the new. And when Lazarus was called out of the grave, in the same way that his clothes needed to be changed, everybody who comes to faith in Jesus needs to have new clothes, clothes of righteousness, 
shoes fitted with the readiness of the gospel, the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. We get to clothe new Christians. There's no higher work for us than rolling away stones and removing grave clothes. Brothers and sisters, let's do that. Let me conclude with, uh, with this story. And it's thinking about Jesus, thinking about the resurrection. You know, people fear death. I know that. Um, many years ago, in a Time magazine, there was an article about people who were facing death. Hundreds of terminally ill people were interviewed and photographed. Most of their pictures looked dreary and sad, as you can imagine. But an elderly man's picture almost jumped off the page. His face was full of life and vitality. In his interview with Time Magazine, he said he couldn't wait to see Jesus. He was joyful in the face of death because he was looking forward to seeing his Savior. You see, you cannot face death with true, honest courage unless you are looking forward to meeting Jesus, the one who faced death for you and who is now alive and with you. Are you looking... Are you looking forward to meeting the Lamb of God who took away your sins? Do you long to hear your good shepherd call you by name? Are you looking forward to going to your heavenly Father's home? It's a home of glory filled with the radiance of the Holy Spirit. In God's home, all wrongs are made right, all darkness becomes bright, all losses are restored, and all tears are wiped away. And Jesus promises that he will go and prepare a place for you. Do you believe this? Would you pray with me? Father, I pray, Lord, that as we think about the resurrection and that Jesus has power to save, that we would believe. Father, there may be those here today who are like, man, I, I only come on Easter. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would resurrect them from death to life spiritually that they would bend their knee and proclaim Jesus as Lord and respond in faith and repentance to the gospel. Father, I pray, Lord, for those of us who believe, Father, that we would do the work of removing stones and taking off grave clothes and that we would seek to help and encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, would you help us? And might we celebrate the resurrection. As we sing this last song, Father, I pray, Lord, that the hope of resurrection and the hope of Christ would be such a real truth that we cannot help but sing with all that we are for all that you have done. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.